0: Hey everyone and welcome to the 64th episode of the Liam McCollum Show. This week I'm talking to Pete Quinones. I was actually starting to wonder why I never had Pete on my show before and then he made an appearance on Tim Pool's show so I just reached out to him. I met Pete down at the Mises Institute this summer and I really like the guy. He has some fiery takes when it comes to libertarianism and the different issues that libertarianism is dealing with today and he's a pretty controversial figure in some libertarian circles so I figured I'd bring him on to talk about how he got into podcasting and all of his different beliefs and and where he's at with libertarianism today. I hope you enjoy this podcast and remember to subscribe to me on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. There are some visual elements. I embed a clip from the, the Tim Pool appearance that he made and then I also have a photo later in the interview so you might want to check that out otherwise you can find me anywhere Else, you listen to podcasts, but I hope you enjoy it. And here's Pete. All right, Pete, how's it going? Doing good, man. How are you? Really good. I'm. I'm glad to have you on. And sorry we push it back a week. I I have this cold that's been going on for a little bit. It's not COVID, but uh, I just wanted to bring you on because I saw you on TimCast, and it was a hell of a performance. And I, I just thought you did a great job bringing up China and and got some really important stuff in there because um, the the whole sentiment the hawkish sentiment towards China really needs to die so I'm pretty happy that you were able to get in your two cents yeah I almost thought I wasn't going to be able to get
1: anything in I had really done my homework on China before because I mean I know that the, I know the sentiment towards China on that show. So I wanted to have it ready. It never came up. And then it came up in a super chat. I'm just like, oh, I'm going off to the races on this one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like I'm just going to start throwing up everything that I possibly um, remember that I could possibly remember from the 25 to 30 articles I had read on China before I went on the show.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I think I'll probably I'll try to embed that clip in this interview or something like that just so people can see it because it really is great this is because china has
1: done in 25 years to their economy what the federal reserve has been doing for a hundred years in this country they've their g let's see they were a hundred their debt was a hundred percent of gdp in 1995 it's now 255 um percent of or 255 times which is basically ours so their debt's piling up, but the problem is, they don't have a central bank, they don't have a Janet Yellen, they don't have a Paul Volcker to guide them and keep them going. Mm. They're financially dying right now, mm-hmm. to the point where I can pull up articles of people calling for cultural revolutions. And they're not calling for cultural, and if, what, if these cultural revolutions happen, it's not gonna be pointed at us. It's gonna be pointed inwards, at their own people. I think that I, I think that China. Anyone who is saying that China is this insanely insane threat as far as fi- financial systems go does not read David Stockman, who is Ronald Reagan's budget director, was in the White House with Ronald Reagan's budget director, um, d- doesn't read Zero Hedge, and just isn't up to date on what their economy is doing right now. I mean, they are dying. You, you know, everybody's like, "Oh, their GDP is so amazing." Yeah. Those cities that they build that no one lives in—that's part of their GDP. That's well, part of I, I thought it was like uh, like eight or so years ago people started moving in and they've been building up. No, they still have those cities. The ghost, There's a lot of yeah. them, but I'm pretty sure they start moving people in. Yeah, but they're at this point. So here's another great little stat: in this country, one percent of one per, uh, farming, either by machine, uh, either by uh, hand or by animal is what is done by 1% of farmers. 30% of the farmers in in China are still either farming by hand or plowing. Yeah. Mm. I mean they're they have a higher rate of diabetes right now than we do. Jeez. Wow. wow. I mean th- this is whoever is feeding I mean sure of course they are to be worried about because they control they're so big a part of our economy but watch what's happening to them financially right now. They are in tons of trouble. There's a book by a Harvard professor called Unrivaled. He wrote it in 2018. He goes through all these demographics about China and just and this is a war hawk. And he comes to the conclusion that these are we're not supposed to worry about these people. And this is this is a this isn't a realist. This isn't an anti-war guy. This is a guy who would say, okay, we need to do something. And this book on Rival just breaks it down as to why China is just in so much trouble.
0: But who was the the other guest that Tim had on?
1: Uh, That was uh, Sean Parnell. He's a vet. He's he's run for House out of Pennsylvania before, and he's running for Senate now. So, yeah, he's a Republican, and he had just – like a week, a week and a half before that Trump had given him his endorsement.
0: Oh, dang. Yeah, it was pretty sweet. Like when you when you straight up just told him, like, you should be running for mayor of your town. Like, that's so important right now. And I I do want to start talking about localism later on. But uh, first, since it's your first time on the show, do you want to just introduce yourself and give a little of your background and I guess how you got into all of this stuff. I know you've kind of moved away from libertarianism or that's kind of a discussion that we could have, but how did you get into that? And then how did you start your show? I mean, I was trying to figure out like things that I could actually do
1: um, to try and help out. And I had started a blog and that didn't seem like anything. I really wanted to keep up on a regular basis. And then I was, I had an idea to like um, do a blog where I just did like highlights of podcast episodes of other people. And I was like, "Eh, that's going to be a lot to keep up with. So I was like, ah, screw it. I'll just start doing one episode a week of of a podcast, try to keep it real short, like 15 minutes, 20 minutes. And yeah, I just kicked in July of 2017. And from there, it just, didn't really grow. It didn't explode. Um, I had a pretty good Twitter following, which was most of the people who were listening to it at that point, uh, probably 30 or 40 people an episode to start with. And after a while, after I got to like the 17th episode, I was like, I really run out of topics that I want to talk about. I really wasn't into talking about current events. So I was talking about mostly evergreen stuff. And I just noticed it was like, there were people, blue check marks who had um, like, Hey, if you want to, if you want me on your podcast, just contact me and stuff like that. So I just started contacting people and I started interviewing people and it turns out I'm a better interviewer than I would have thought. um, At least what, from what people tell me, I still feel like sometimes I stumble through interviews, but the um, yeah, the, people just the great thing about the libertarian sphere is you contact people and they pretty much will want to talk to you. they'll they'll give you their time. And um, yeah, so I just jumped in and just kept going and interview after interview after interview. and then finally, I started getting some, you know people like Jeff Dice to come on and talk because you know, I think I pretty much clearly I, I made it clear that, I was on the side of the Mises Institute 100%. You know, that I was a Mises Institute libertarian. Still am to this day, 100%. And yeah, they just exploded from there. I I didn't really, it was like, I was 150 episodes in before anybody said like, um, man, you have a really good voice for this. You probably have one of the best voices for podcasting. And that was Tom Woods who said that. And I was like, hold on, (laughs) you know, it's like I'm just basically ripping off Tom Woods on my podcast by doing what he does and everything. So it's like um, so I started asking him questions and got some pointers from him, upgraded my audio uh, because my audio at, at that point was really lame, really sucked. I had the microphone way too far away from me and just it exploded from there. Once I upgraded the audio, a lot of people contacted me or were like, I really like your podcast, but the audio was so bad. And, um, had a couple, I had a run in with somebody that increased my, um, increased my visibility and, um, yeah, just, it just grew from there. And then when COVID hit, I immediately understood what was happening I didn't understand it, but I I had an idea of what they were going to do with it. I didn't think they were going to do it this fast, but I knew that they were going to go tyrannical quick. Yeah. And within like the first six months of COVID, my audience grew like 80%. I mean, I like it just exploded because I was talking about COVID and a lot of other people weren't. There, was a, a lot, there were a lot of libertarian podcasts that were just ignoring it and um i saw it for what it was i started interviewing people who um you know like vin armani who takes it to a spiritual realm and started talking to people like curtis yarvin who you know used to be a libertarian he's not a libertarian anymore and um so yeah i just it's, it's just a journey um i'm still I, i'm i consider myself to be a happy and libertarian Mm-hmm. And what what I think a Hoppian is is somebody who is realistic about the world that understands that you know Hoppe is well versed in Marx and Engels. And Engels said, and Lenin believed this too, that if the state just collapses, whoever's controls the state right now, they're just gonna beg for those people to be back in charge. So you don't really want the state to collapse because you're just going to get, the, you're going to have pain and then you're going to get the same thing again. So I started looking at what Hoppe's idea for moving forward was and a reach um, achieving more liberty in this life. And I started running with that. And I didn't really start podcasting on it until recently, last couple months. But you know, I, I honestly see, you know, people and you know, Hoppe's idea is to basically go local as local as possible with politics. And immediately when you start talking about that, all the anarchists are like, well, you're a status now and everything mm-hmm. like that. And I'm like, I just don't care. I just really don't care. You know. And then I met Andrew from Popular Liberty who talks about, you know, came up with this idea of archotropism, which basically talks about, well, I mean, think about it from an economic standpoint, why does the state exist? Supply and demand. There's a demand for it. The people demand it. As long as people demand it, it's going to exist. So how do you, what do you do in order to defeat that? What do you do to get around that? Well, well HAPA is as local as possible, but you know it's going to have to be select areas that would be open to the ideas of Um, you know, smaller government, less taxes, you know, and those are going to be red areas. So now you're now you're not even an anarchist anymore. Now you're a Republican, you know, because you, you know, you think that it would probably be in a lot of locations, maybe even most um, better to work through like the local GOP than work through like the local LP and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's just a quick like that's the last four years and four or five months of my life has basically been that. But Really, it's like 20 years because it's been what 18 years since COVID started? Or at least it feels it feels like that. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah. And uh I'm wondering, so man beyond the wall. I actually discovered you when I was watching Game of Thrones. Was there ever a point where you were like going by Mance Raider? Like yeah, you- I was I-, I-, I went by Mance Rader
1: for like the first 175 episodes or something like that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's really and- cool. It was, you know, it was just an idea that I had for remaining anonymous on the internet, remaining anonymous on Twitter, uh, because I had a corporate job, you know, working Mm. with a working with an international multinational corporation. And I was just trying to protect myself. So it was something stupid. I should have just came up with some like ridiculous, like name of just, you know, like pick my grandfather's first name and my, uh, you know, my grandmother's maiden name or something like that instead of picking a fictional character, but it is what it is. And, you know, maybe it slowed my progress a little bit, but I'm here. So it's fine.
0: No, I, I think it was really cool. Cause I, I, I'm wondering if there were like, I wonder if there were any people who were just big fans of game of Thrones that stumbled across you just cause they liked it so much and then they became libertarians or something like it in the process. Yeah, but It would uh, be interesting if somebody like Googled
1: Mance Rader and found me. Um, yeah. when, when I first started, Mance Rader.com was not, was taken. And I was like, Ugh. and then one night I was just, I used to like every couple of days I'd go and search it and see and everything. And then one day I, I searched it and it was available and I bought it well. Wow. So I actually have Mance It was funny when I put that out there, I think it was actually Ben Armani who was like, yeah, some, um, some low level employee at HBO just like lost their job because they let Mance go or something like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I actually do want to get into kind of post-libertarianism and what you've been talking about, um, that you referenced just earlier. Um, something that I'm really interested in just being in Montana is the fact that like Montana already is very local. Like we banned vaccine passports and stuff like that. Um, Yet there's kind of like this, this interesting movement here where we kind of cut off power from localities, but we still like allow the governor to have power. So for instance, we nullified all federal gun gun laws, but then we took away local power and we don't allow like the bluer cities to have any regulations at all. So I'm wondering just in your conception of things, would you even do you think that there's too much of an emphasis on states rights? And do you think that that's kind of a problem with the current setup? Do you think we should go well, even further?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think states rights is really important. And, you know, I'll, I'll call it federalism in the last 18 months, federalism has been the difference between, you know, whole states that locked down like California and states that never locked down like North Dakota. And I don't, I don't think Manhattan, Montana didn't lock down, did they? They did for like a week. I mean, no one really paid attention to it anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, there's your big difference and, you know, that's why You have people moving to Florida and mass. Now you have people moving to Texas and uh, I mean, I think federalism is important, but the 10th amendment is, and nullification only applies the state to federal. Unless it's written into a state constitution, cities have no mandate to do that, to, to nullify state law. But it's time. And that's what, you know, that's part of it. What's funny is I think I started using the term post-libertarian and I, I don't think I invented it. I'm pretty sure. I, I mean, I want to say I saw Yarvin write it somewhere. I mean, the guy wrote a million words for, for unqualified reservations. So he might've put that somewhere and I met have saw it. I just used it in the title of an episode and it stuck. And people use it as a pejorative now, which is a lot of fun because it's, the problem is, is there's like, there's 14 of us who are like really, really looking at it right now and looking at things and examining like historical libertarianism and things that are just accepted out of hand and just basically like looking at how Anarchy, how libertarianism and anarchism are basically the same, or they should be the same. I mean, they're they're really in in the same ballpark, in the same family, and how it's just impossible right now. It's I mean it's to think that you're going to have anarchism in our lifetimes is just insane. And all you have to do is look at the last eighteen months. And I think the what it is is with those of us who are looking for a different way is, or not looking for a different way, but trying to come up with strategies. Um, So like there's people like, um, I like Jason Stapleton a lot saying, get personal wealth and mobility, you know, grow your wealth and have a, have a mobile income. So basically you're working from home. You could work from anywhere. You know, at this point now, this is what I do full-time podcast, write um, make documentaries. I could do that from any, I can go halfway around the world. I could live as long as I have an internet connection, I could live in any country in the world and do this. And that's really nice because there are some countries that aren't, you know, saying that companies with a hundred employees or more have to have mandated vaccines. So I could go there if I wanted to. So I like what Jason has to say, but I also like what Andrew and, um, Buck Johnson and Tho Bishop you know what what they're talking about is to institute Hoppe's strategy of of the the classic what must be done from 1997 of going local and trying to making the attempt to create 10,000 Liechtensteins so that you have mass decentralization and power is only at the most local level and you seek to privatize as much as you can so there, there are different ideas under this umbrella, but, you know, Twitter is a place where people get hyperbolic and I can get hyperbolic. I don't think anybody who's followed me on Twitter, you know, could argue with that. And everybody gets hyperbolic. So, you know, like there's an article that I'm not going to promote that came out within the last two days. Just it had like terms edgy in it and sophistry stuff like that and it's like that's not if somebody's going to critique and you're just going to be like oh that's edgy i mean that's just a facebook post it's not an article to be taken seriously it's just something that somebody would put in a facebook post so you know it's like my substack my substack is not meant to be scholarship my substack is meant to be rant and you know so when I see somebody ranting against things that I've said, you know, like I said, um, I had a post where it showed that they wanted to mandate vaccines for all of Los Angeles County. And I retweeted it and said libertarian, libertarianism doesn't fix this. Yeah. And then somebody came in and they're like, well, you could, you know, you could protest, you could have peaceful resistance. And I'm like, that's not libertarianism. I mean, that was the civil rights movement. Now you want to rebrand the civil rights movement libertarian, except for the problem is the civil rights movement was about positive rights. So you can't, that that doesn't work in libertarianism. And these people aren't thinking, you know, it's what's funny, what it all comes down to. And I think this is another thing that the post libertarians, what we like to call ourselves praxians, um, you know, our, our group is called our chat group is called praxis and is we're, I lost my train of thought. Um, we're looking for solutions, but we recognize, okay, so we said libertarianism doesn't fix us. Okay, so here, here's one of the things that we talk about. I just remembered. Cool. Um, one of the things that we talk about is how much leftist thought Has infiltrated not only libertarianism in general, but even a lot of right libertarians, people who consider themselves on the call, consider themselves right libertarians as opposed to the left libertarians, which are obviously insane, um, except for the real left libertarians like Gary Chartier and Sheldon Richmond, people like that. Um, We're talking about the, let's call them the woke, the ones who've latched onto woke progressivism, Um, is to try to point out that leftism has no place in libertar- libertarianism because leftism is all about positive rights. And it's also about chaos and libertarianism, one of the things I said on Tim pool, I was trying to drop some knowledge. And I said that, you know, left to me, left is chaos and right. Even if they don't realize it is order. And when I look at left libertarians, I don't see that. I see People endorsing behaviors like celebrating behaviors like drug use, prostitution, um, things like that, which actually help to grow the state because people who get into that have a tendency to become reliant upon the state. So those kind of activities, although I don't want them illegal and I don't want people going to jail for them because it shouldn't. I just want you to do it in your community over there where it doesn't affect me. Um, they have a tendency to not only say that it's okay for or it should be permissible for people to do it, but they want it to be celebrated. And I don't see any way that liberta- a libertarian society, a libertarian order, especially on a local level, what kind of low level I want, can survive with that kind of activity in it it just it's going to lead it's going to be a distraction and it's going to cause people to be like okay what do we do with them someone needs to help them and then as soon as someone needs to help them because they're performing activities that are detrimental um, then all, all of a sudden we need to do something. If somebody's not going to stand up and say, okay, I'll take care of this, I'll make, I'll make sure to fix it. you know, But most people don't do that. We've grown as a society into you know, even family members. If family members have problems, we send them to a hospital, which is usually financed by the state, or we send them to a drug center, which is usually financed by the state, and this circular whole thing. So, yeah, I mean, we're looking at... I guess, trying to bring things around to the right to order, but also to address the problem of libertarianism being 60, 50 years old. If you think of the libertarian party, um, 70 years old, if you think of Ayn Rand or two or 3000 years old, if you think of teach people who had libertarian thought back then, but hadn't systematized it like it has been in the 20th century and why people don't want it why it hasn't helped to stop what is becoming quickly a med, uh, a medical uh, a medical tyranny state, and when you and then you see a large segment of the population who's not only okay with that, but is willing to defend it. So how come libertarianism hasn't helped that? And if the answer is only because they haven't heard the message yet, well, they have. Ron Paul ran for president twice and the message got out there and he was on debate stages. The mass, the masses of people have rejected it. And if you want to look at society now, the left is insane and the right is worried about China and is worried about people on the border. And so, I mean, really, how is the message of the class, you know, what's become the classic libertarian message of open borders and free trade with everyone, which I tend to agree with myself. Um, how, how is that going to land on the right? So I think local, basically localism is really the only thing right now. I mean, I, I want Dave Smith to run for president and bring, and, create 10 million libertarians. I just, and I have a, I have a hard time seeing it.
0: Yeah. Do you, do you think that it's possible that we, we do both simultaneously? Like, do you think that there's any room for like what Dave Smith would say, just like campaigning to wake people up and then like a free state movement, telling all of them to just, turn inward and and build their community. Well the problem I have with this free state project is they're
1: concentrating on the whole state. I think that they really need to they need to concentrate on Keene and concentrate on Manchester and concentrate on Lancaster, concentrate on the cities up there. And you know, run a couple people into the state just so you can keep it. Get, I mean, their their legislature up there is four hundred and thirty five people, just like Washington. So really, nothing can get done. I mean, it's yeah. it's, it's it's insane when people find that out. And they're like, "What?" But um, I'm sure. I mean, but you know, it's it's one of those things. Is like, what's the message? What do you want the message to be? What message do you think that people will latch on to right now? And I mean, I think that the only message that it seems the people who are our most natural allies right now would latch onto on to is on a, is a populist message. You know, I mean, actually, Ron Paul's message, including talking about, hate to say it, closed borders when he ran for for president twice. People seem to forget that um, seems to be would the right would a lot of the right would would latch on to it. And then, you know, I mean, I don't know how much they care about the Federal Reserve. I mean, I know a lot of people were screaming in the Fed, but the Fed keeps, print you know, money printer keeps going. Brr. You know, I mean, I hate to say it because Ron Paul, I don't I'll put it this way. Ron Paul did not create liberty. Ron Paul created libertarians. And I'm grateful because I'm one of them. I'm one of the ones that came out of the Ron Paul camp. But I think now, especially what what we've seen in the last 18 months, it's more important to have strategies for creating liberty than it is for creating libertarians. I think strategies for creating liberty may be the catalyst for creating more libertarians or more liberty-minded people but i mean if we don't start doing something right now you know having a, a campaign of bringing a whole bunch of people in who when they don't see liberty happen fall away like after happened 2008 and 2012 and i mean that's just disheartening for people who um you know, who lived through that and are you know, like myself who are disappointed in the fact that it really didn't change anything. It changed people, but it didn't change. I mean, there. Are, I'm sure there are parts of the United States where people were inspired by Ron Paul and they got involved locally and they made some changes locally. I'd love to hear those stories of people who are directly inspired by that. But I've said this before, I've spent a lot of time, yeah, I haven't spent a lot of time around Ron Paul, but I have spent time around him. And when people come up to him to talk to him, they never say, you you inspired me to take over my, uh, to run for office in my hometown. And, you know, now we're privatizing things that were government run at, at that point. They usually say, thank you, you really changed me. And that's important. I mean, we have to start by changing ourselves, but I think that, um, at this point, especially if this COVID insanity keeps going, we're going to have to, we're going to have to create liberty. And that's going to be more important than creating libertarians. And I honestly believe that's only can be done on the local level at this point.
0: Yeah. I I watched um, the Ron Paul documentary at Rev 21 when I was down in Florida and I couldn't help like, cause it really was like a very surreal documentary to see all of that and like see the community that was, that was built up around Ron Paul and, and that movement. But the ending, man, it just like, I mean, it kind of rocked me cause it was like literally nothing came of it. And, and I don't think something like that could happen again. I do think that like Dave, Dave Smith, um, will be able to go on some big podcasts and, you know, wake people up and hopefully get, get people to change themselves and then their community, but it was pretty depressing to watch. Um, are you, I wonder, do you think that people should move? So like, like Montana, for instance, is pretty free. Like we're, we're, when it comes to like our daily lives, we're, we're very free. The only threat with the vaccine mandate, um, comes at the university level, but everywhere else, like, they're banned. I mean, even private businesses can't force it. Um, do you think that people should be moving to one community? Like, like do you think people in New York should go to Montana or should they really focus on their, their city?
1: Uh, if I was in New York, I wouldn't be trying to do anything political. Um, at least definitely not in like the un- strictly blue areas. I mean, you're not going to get anything done in Manhattan. Um, you might be able to get stuff done and like Queens is pretty red. Long Island's pretty red. Upstate is pretty much all red, but I'm not going to tell anybody to move. Um, I think that's something people should want to. I've recently moved and I'm in a much, I'm in a much smaller town than Atlanta was. Um, I'm not in a, in one of those free States. It is. It does have a Republican governor. But the Republican governor is part of the regime. I mean, he used to be a senator for Christ's sake. And but you know, it's hard for people to move. I mean, if if you have like talking about Jason Stapleton, a mobile income, sure, you can move. And I would want to see about moving someplace where there's other um, you know, there's libertarians, or you could have a bunch of libertarians move to one place and everything. I wouldn't all live in the same house because the Branch Davidians showed that was a really bad idea. Um, but you know, a lot of people, especially business, especially business owners. I mean, it's, if they own a bit brick and mortar place, it's like really impossible for them to move at this point. Um, and you, know, you got to sell your business or do something like that. And who knows how their business is doing after the state went to war on them. And, you know, but you know, I've, uh, I took the chance to, I took the opportunity to move when, when it was presented to me. Um, I want, I would want everyone to move. And especially if they're in a place where if they're in California or something like that, the sections of, I mean, I'm sure in Northern California where it's red, they're probably ignoring pretty much everything that Newsom's handed down. They can't stand that guy up there, but yeah, I mean, Maybe it is a time to if people want to organize, which libertarians and anarchists are really bad at and go to an area and at least a free an area that is not being touched by this at the moment. And that, you know, that the governor would probably be like, screw you, we're going to pull the national, you know, we'll call out the National Guard if we have to, if you if feds want to come in here. Um, it'd be a great place to go, it'd be a great place to go. I'd to be honest. I have I think every day about moving, moving back to Florida. You know, I, I haven't lived in Florida for a decade and a half, but we've, we've discussed it and, um, you know, it might come to it at some point if Florida stays the way it is or shit, who knows, might just take off and I have a friend, really good friend. Most people listening to this know his name is heading for Mexico because it's just can't deal with it anymore here. So,
0: you know, uh, Billings, Montana has like the best housing market right now. So you could always come up North. Um, but I'm wondering, I, I really want to get into the conversation that you kind of referenced about licentiousness or libertinism. Um, I saw that you retweeted something about like uh libertarianism is an atheist problem. And I find, I think that's interesting wording. And I, uh, I I've talked to you about like your, your religious beliefs when we were
1: down you in Auburn. Too,
0: yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I think it, it's interesting. I, I'm wondering why you're, why you're specifically drawn to this conversation. Cause when I asked you, you, you said, you know, it, it kind of depends on the day of the week, whether or not you're religious. So I'm, I'm wondering why you think, why you're so drawn to this conversation. And then um, if you can elaborate on, on what that means, the libertarianism is an atheist problem. Well, I mean, libertarianism is basically
1: Christianity without Christ. It promises a utopia, but no one wants to make a sacrifice. I mean, people aren't willing to sacrifice to do anything for it. If you become polit- if you become political, and you're like, oh, you know, let's vote for this local candidate or something, now you're a statist. And it's just there's no hope, there's no faith, there is there is nothing, but it's promising you heaven. Libertarianism promises you heaven, but how do you how do you get there? You know, people haven't figured that out yet. In Christianity, you accept Christ. Oh, what do you do to get to heaven in libertarianism? Which is the problem with libertarianism is an atheist problem. I say libertarianism has an atheism problem um, because there are just so many people involved in it that are not only atheists, which doesn't bother me. Um, Hans Hermann Hoppe is an atheist, but I would definitely live in a covenant community with him. Um, but they have an aver- not only an aversion but they have a hatred of Christianity. I mean, and maybe this comes from Ayn Rand because it definitely doesn't come from Rothbard. um, Doesn't come from Hoppe. So it must, maybe it's something from Ayn Rand or something. I don't know. But the problem is, is that 70% of the people in this country say they believe in something, you know, a higher power, at least. Um, Christianity is still the over... um, the majority religion, yet they seem to, these anti-Christian libertarians seem to want to either say they can't be libertarians, and I know libertarian Christians, I know a lot of Christian libertarians, and I, I know libertarians who say they're not real libertarians because they're Christians. It's almost like some of these people are like you have to renounce Christ before you can become a libertarian. These people are insane. I mean, they're just absolutely insane. They have a mental problem. I mean, that is a mental problem. That is leftism. I mean, it's the commies. Yeah. You couldn't. The commies could not allow any other god except the state, and that's exactly what they can't allow any other god except anarchism. Anarchism is. I agree with Curtis Yarvin. The the problem with libertarianism is that it turns everyone into their own sovereign. And there are people on this planet that we know personally that should not be their own sovereign. They need to be governed. They need to be controlled. And that is just an economics problem. That's a supply problem. They need to be supplied with somebody to control them. And that's why a government exists. That's why they demand a government. That's why libertarianism cannot and never will exist on a grand scale without some kind of change in evolution or something like that, without an evolutionary jump. It can only, only exist on the local level with like-minded people coming together. Because the majority of people believe they need a state that's why the state exists that's why the state has power that's why war exists because people demand war and somebody's going to be there to supply it it's everything's that's one thing that andrew from popular liberty has really beaten into my head is everything is economics everything you see on the planet is economics you know it's like free marketers get this rap when you talk to like commies and stuff, they're like, well, capitalism can't exist without the state. Okay. Why? Well, because, you know, violence, there has to be force and violence to enforce capitalism. And then you look at the black market and people will say, well, the freest market we have is the black market. There's a lot of violence around the black market too. So I'm not saying that capitalism can't exist without violence. I'm saying that I haven't seen it exist without violence, at least not in my lifetime. Because maybe if the state was taking taken out of the equation, which it never will be, because people will demand it, you will be able to see a free market that exists without violence. But at this point, you don't see it. Agorists know, especially once you start getting into a black market, you get into things like drugs and guns people will get violence to protect their, you know, their enterprise. And a lot of people will make arguments that the reason that happens is because the state exists and it has to be done on the, on the down low. But we also know that this country, the government goes to war to protect their financial interests and commits violence to protect their financial interests. So for me to, I'm going to have to experience capitalism without violence in order to believe that it can exist without violence at this point. And this is one of those things that makes me a quote unquote post-libertarian because I'm going to question, I'm questioning everything at this point. And I allow people to argue with me as long as they argue in good faith. I change my mind all the time if people come with a good argument and they, people change, but this? Way, people change my mind all the time by giving me, giving me, um, information. So I'm willing to talk to anybody as long as it's in good faith. And as long as there's not words like edgy or sophistry aren't, um, included in it, because it's just, you're trying to, you're trying to win an internet argument in print and you just look like a fool.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm interested. Would you, would you say, do you think the leftists are right then when they mentioned something about like late stage capitalism? Um, this is something that I've always been interested in, Is is their argument that um, not necessarily that what we have is necessarily capitalism, like they can conceive of free market capitalism, it almost seems, but they think that this is the end result of it. That's
1: hard. To, uh, I haven't really thought about that much. I mean, we're definitely... With what the Federal Reserve has done in the last 108 years, we're seeing a we're reaching some kind of crescendo, we're reaching some kind of cliff. And at this point, it's real easy to look at like the market, to look at capitalism from a communist point of view, a socialist point of view, and critique it. Because the people who have orchestrated capitalism for the last hundred and eight years, oh, they made tons of mistakes. Yeah. You know, they interest rates hikes, uh, lowering this. I mean, these are things that um, are going to have adver- adverse effects or positive effects. I mean. Volcker raising the interest rates in, it was 70, in the 70s and 80s actually had a positive effect and eventually I mean there was some short-term pain um so I mean I, I think they have a point but you know everything has to be taken into if you're if that is coming from a if that argument is being made from a laissez-faire kind of um like they believe that capitalism, this late stage capitalism has all been caused by laissez faire. Well, I mean, obviously they're either monies, but if they, but if they believe, if they believe in Marx's definition of capitalism, which is basically fascism, the marriage of business, you know, capitalism, business can't exist without in the way it is now without the state, which really we can at this point, um, imagine if Amazon didn't have protections of the state right now how many people rely on things from Amazon. Um, I mean, we're, in a, we're screwed, man. I mean, it, w- people don't realize how screwed we are. People don't realize that like they forget last year when toilet paper was scarce, when meat was scarce at some points. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know about the whole late state stage capitalism thing, because that always seems like, you know, kind of red herring something that they just throw out there. But, um, I mean, I do get the point that w- when, when communists make their arguments for why capitalism doesn't work, I mean, it's, e- if you believe that capitalism is, you know, the government and business working hand in hand, well, it's not hard to see how it, see
0: their point. Yeah. I think, I think the thing that I buy into the most, or like if, if anything is intriguing, it, it's the idea that it. Is necessary or that that people will desire what we have right now and we will get to this point. Not necessarily, so like if that's what they're saying with the late stage capitalism argument is that not that this is a result from laissez-faire capitalism, but that people will naturally tend to desire what we have right now, or at least guide us to, to this point. I think I think I'm more likely to buy that. Um no, that I makes want? sense, yeah. Yeah. I wanted to go back to what you were saying about um, the atheist libertarians. And so, so I am a Christian libertarian and I think I would still call myself a libertarian, but I've been, I've been struggling with the word um, anarchist. And, and I know that you kind of combine them and you would say that libertarianism is anarchism. But the reason that I'm opposed to that word is because like the phrase no gods, no masters comes to mind. And I just, I mean, even atheists seem to like they have a rule that they follow. They have the, their gods. And, and mine is like, I mean, obviously this religious code, but, but if you're, if your God becomes this like Maxim, no gods, no masters, it's just kind of, you do, I mean, you get to this licentious lifestyle where, where it literally is just chaos um, and, and, no gods, no masters is something that leftists say all the time too. So I think, I think that you're, you're pretty spot on with that analysis, but I think my only um, disagreement would be just, I I have separated libertarianism and and anarchism for that reason. So maybe it would be like libertarianism proper, but maybe we need something like post-libertarianism or like meta-libertarianism or something, you know, (laughs) well,
1: i think one of the reasons why christians make the best libertarians or um you know even dare i say anarchists is that they understand hierarchy and that's something big in Hoppe's writings is that we have natural we have hierarchies in nature um i saw somebody had the other day had you know it's just a real quick tweet about you know respecting your elders and respecting your family and somebody responded F you. And it's like, there are people on hierarchies exist everywhere. It's a part of nature. And that's one of the problems that libertarianism has is that they don't believe in hierarchies, you know, no gods, no masters. Okay. Well, I don't, I don't want to rule over you, but there are some things that I may know that you don't that could really improve your life and maybe you should follow and maybe there should be a hierarchy system there. Maybe there should be some kind of um system of you know, or what was it? What was that Seinfeld episode where you found out that um I can't remember the term for it, but you know that like that person had like a life coach, but I can't remember what the um like a mentor or something like that and re- referred to somebody else as their mentor and i mean they this is just something you you see in nature is that hierarchies exist if there was no government hierarchies would exist and they deny that and it's really why when i see people like say well even if you're getting involved in local politics that's that's stupid. You're a statist. You know, you, you want to rule over me. You know, That that's a, that's a, another favorite one. You just want to tell me what to do. Well, maybe someone needs to tell you what to do. Maybe someone needs to tell you because you don't know what to do. You think that you're going to bring the government down and you're going, you're going to have more freedom in your life because you post on Twitter or you post on Facebook. Well, that doesn't work. The only, the only thing that changes power is power. People have power, and if you want to change a power structure, you're going to have to ach- attain power. There's really only a couple of ways to do that, and unfortunately, in the world we live in, one way is money. You have to have money in order to do that. You know, it's like um, Matt um, Matt Erickson gets in trouble for, you know, saying, "Well, you know, just make more money." Well, if if you want to have political change and he says this like ironically not really though by a politician if you want to see political change buy a politician or at least influence a politician get a couple politicians elected locally and you're guiding them especially if you're the one funding it i mean how hard is this but that but then people are like well that's power and you know andrew I keep bringing up Andrew from Popular Liberty, he said, he had had a tweet, he said, libertarians treat power as a morality problem, the same way communists or leftists or socialists treat capitalism as a morality problem. And they're both wrong and stupid. It's all an engineering problem. It's how it's engineered, how it's done. The power is not, the power is not the problem someone's always going to have power over you. If there's somebody who has more guns than you, they have power over you. Even if they don't want to exercise it, they technically do. If somebody's smarter than you, they have power over you intellectually. There's always going to be somebody who has more more power than you. Power is not inherently something bad. It's just how it's used. And people say, oh, if you got elected, you'd just become just like the rest of them. Well, Ron Paul didn't do that. And most people are brought were brought into this that I know, you know, from my generation were brought into it by Ron Paul, but he didn't do that. So what you don't you think is Ron Paul that much greater a human being than you? You know, he has his flaws. I mean, we all have our flaws. I just don't understand this whole thing about there's this whole thread of we need to change we need to change the way things are right now. Well, sure, get some power and change it. Well, we can't do that. It's a violation of the non-aggression principle. Then how are you going to change anything? You know, guns have never changed. I mean, guns have changed things, but they've never really changed things ideologically. Um for I mean, for the better maybe? You know, maybe you could say the American Revolution, but look where we are now. Um, That some people will say the American revolution, then you go and study the American revolution and you're like, Oh, these guys were a bunch of conspiracy theorists and that's how they sold the war. That's interesting. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know, man, it's hierarchies are nature. It's a part of nature and people who just instinctively dismiss them, I, mean, I I just don't really know what to do with those people because it, what it basically tells me is that they're immature and they they have, don't have good relationships with their dad. Maybe I mean I hate to go there, I hate to go there. But I mean that's almost the way it, it's almost the way it comes off is that they talk about power and they talk about um, you know authority in such a way that, you know, they have a bad, re- it sounds like they have a bad relationship with their dad.
0: Yeah. I, I was actually just going to bring that up. The, the authority aspect where like we're supposed to just be anti-authority and it's this very egalitarian, like, like very left leaning thought that, uh, that I continue to see where I'll, I'll meet some people, especially in the LP. And we didn't really get to talking about the LP and, and toe Bishop and stuff like that. But a lot of the people I meet in the, in the LP, they'll say, well, libertarians are against authority. And I'm like, no, no, we're just against illegitimate authority. And yeah. I think, um, as a Christian, that's where I come, come to it. It's like, I mean, we're supposed to have authorities. Like, I mean, what are, what are your community members, your teachers and community? What are, um, when you hire someone to delegate like disputes or mitigate or act as a mediator, like, what, what are they like? Those those are legitimate authorities. It's just the, the question of what makes an authority legitimate and illegitimate. And since I'm a Christian, I just think that we're all, I mean, we all have the image of God and, and that's kind of how I I get to that. So there, there's a sense in which we need to respect the dignity of each other. Um, but yeah, I think everything you're saying is absolutely correct. And I see it every day every day when I'm interacting with really left-leaning libertarians. And the sad part is that a
1: lot of people who are, are spouting left-wing ideology who are libertarians don't know it. They think they're like right libertarians or they're that the third leg of the stool, we're neither left nor right. <laughs> I just uh, I just can't. After I read Hoppe's getting libertarianism right, you know, and Right on that is meaning right way, you know, towards the right and not, you know, correct. Um, yeah, it was just, I mean, he quotes so much Rothbard in there too. And you see that Rothbard was like, left is just chaos. It is, egalitarianism is chaos. Um, left thought is chaos. You know, I mean, there are things you can learn from the left, like the fact that they're not scared of power and that they want power and that they know how to get power and they know how to consolidate power. And that is something that maybe people who are libertarians should learn from. But then again, there's that pesky non-aggression principle where it's just like, well, I mean, it's just handcuffed. I mean, I wrote, I wrote an article called why the libertarian party will never have political power last year. And just aggressive it just addressed the non-aggression principle and how if that's like the one thing that you have to agree upon in order to join the libertarian party i mean how do you participate in politics I mean it's you're the technically the existence of the state is against is a violation of the non-aggression principle because the state is, predation is a force. Well, I mean, you're going to have to get around it if you hope to change that. And I think really the only way to change it is, like I said, keep just keep saying word local, local, local is to influence that locally and, um, you know, seek to even nullify what your state or your county may want to do and just be like, no, we're not going to do that. And but you know, it's one of the things, you know, the the post-libertarians, the Praxians, you know, it's one of the things we talk about is that if you know, and there are some of us who don't want anything to do with political politics at all. And you know, I'm one of those people who believes too that libertarians should not become political unless they are financially sound, you know, unless they are pillar of their community unless they are what Hoppe would call natural elites, people that you, people that other people would come to to solve problems for them, to get advice, to get counsel. Now, I just don't think it works any other way. I mean, especially if you're going to do what we're looking to do, which is to basically privatize your local government and you know have a establish a Liechtenstein. And it just doesn't, you know, and in order to do that, you also have to believe in morality. And it's amazing when you talk to some libertarians and they just don't understand. It's like, well, who's morality? It's like, well, if you have to ask that question, I don't know that we can keep having a conversation because if you're so reactionary to the term morality, then I, you're probably on the left at least i think a right someone on the right if you spoke about morality if if you said the term morality they'd probably shake their head and go okay yeah we can talk sure but leftists is instinctively probably gonna like bristle i don't know what to do with that person
0: um so we're we're running out of time but i'm wondering i got some questions from some people, some of my sure. list. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, let's do it. Um, so one of the themes was just um, how do you think the U.S. will look in 5, 10, 25, 50 years? And I guess where do you find hope? Do you have hope? Or are you pretty, I guess, blackpilled? Well, I think that there is going to be a large percentage
1: of the popu- of the United States in, let's say, 25 years. that still exists as the United States. I think that pieces are going to start breaking off. I think you're going to start seeing secession. Um, It's going to start with states, obviously, and then you know, hopefully, we start going down to localities from there. But I mean, Washington. I mean, Jersey, Pennsylvania, Washington, New York, and everything. That'll probably be its own country, something like that. Maybe the New England states will have their own country or something like that. I think that's where it goes next five years. And I would just be I would just be acquiring as much cryptocurrency as you can, and um, maybe some land, definitely some land, and um, learn how. I mean, you can go on YouTube and learn how to grow anything. You learn how to you can go on YouTube and learn how to like grow insane amounts of potatoes and like a 55 gallon oil drum that you can just go to like the local Jiffy Lube and say, Hey, can I take that and everything and take it home and clean it out. And you can learn how to uh, insane amounts of potatoes just in that drum. And um you, know, you can do that living in a condo if you have a porch or something like that. Um, but yeah, for the next five years, get the hell out of cities and get some land and... You know, cryptocurrency as much as, you know, you know, just do it. I mean, it's in the short term that's where I would go. In the long term, I see hope in the long term. But I am, I'm, I'm white pilled for the long term. I'm black pilled for the short term.
0: Okay. And then another question is just, um, do you? So I, I have a lot of people who are in the LP, and I'm in the LP myself, and. Actually, interestingly, so um, am I.
1: and I just joined the Ohio LP too.
0: Interesting. Yeah. And, and on that note, I, I was going to mention this since you were talking about um, how you're supposed to swear to the NAP or whatever, when joining the, the party are, we actually had someone propose to get rid of that language and, and we passed it because of that exact reason is like, you know, if you ask for, you know, reducing taxes, but you don't get rid of them. You're still violating the NAP, and and we got rid of that language here. And I just found that whole discussion interesting. Um, but the language but, of the, the language of the non-aggression principle. Yeah. Just, oh, you
1: mean you mean the language of how the LP National
0: phrases it. So, so at the state level, we we swore to the NAP essentially that we would we would follow the NAP, and the person's argument was that. We shouldn't have to do that because upon like with that language, any person in the party could be removed from the party if they advocate for just reducing taxes instead of getting rid of them. Um, I mean, if someone, you know, if there was a really bad actor in the party, they could remove you. Um, so we we just said that we have to strive towards libertarian principles or something like that. But but the question. Makes sense to me. But yeah. The question is, do you and, and maybe you do because you joined your, your local party. Do you see any um, validity in joining the LP at the local level? I, I know that you have some issues at the national level, but. Oh, I mean.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is the way I look at it. The Libertarian Party is not going anywhere. So as long as the Libertarian Party is not going anywhere. I want to do as much as I can to guide the message, guide the the way things are done, the strategy, any strategy. I want to be the I want to be somebody who does that. I want to be influential in that. And um, yeah, so I joined when I got here. I joined. Um, I'm still a member nationally. I don't know when I have to to renew or anything like that. And um, it's really the only reason is that um, I know that the LP is going to exist, and I want to have as much influence on it as I can because I see the LP as having no, very little vision, and very little strategy. Where I'm somebody who is trying to come up with and is trying to implement strategies um for the local and I think that I can help you know I mean I don't know about the little town that I live in but definitely there's a lot of libertarians in the county so you know on a county level and on a state level I don't know how much I'm going to be in, how much um, I would do anything nationally or anything like that um I'm very interested in working with the GOP locally, but I'm not interested in becoming like a politician. I don't want to get elected to office. I want to be the one who gets people elected to office. So I don't really need to be even a member of the GOP or even to vote in order to do that. I just have to have influence and
0: money. Yeah. And then the other question is just, do you want to just tell people about, uh, your new podcast with Scott Horan and how often you're doing it and, and what it's about.
1: We're going to right now we have it scheduled for every other Thursday. Uh, Every other Thursday at 8 PM Eastern time uh, streaming on YouTube on the Libertarian Institute channel. And it's, we're just basically going to be going over what's going, it's called the end of the empire. And he used to have one called the, what was it? the state of the empire, I think, that he did with Jeff Tucker. And this one's going to be the end of the empire. And he's going to, so like half of it, he'll bring like something foreign policy related. Like I, actually in the first episode, I brought the foreign policy thing to China that I talked about on Tim Pool. And then we ended up, um, then we'll go into domestic issues or cultural issues. So, you know, obviously if you have Scott Horton on, you're going to talk about foreign policy but also um, I'm a little more in tune with the culture wars and things that are going on with that. So um, I'll talk about that. I'll get Scott to, you know, I'll talk about how horrible it is and Scott will try to white pill everybody
0: on that too. Cause that's what he um, he does well. So. Yeah. I actually think that this will be my favorite podcast to listen to just because it's like, you know, I, you have to listen to other people, other people's shows to hear Scott Horton speak, but now it'll just be you two playing off of each other. And it's, it's, I mean, it really is like my ed and ego, like playing against each other the entire time. And we fight like crazy.
1: People don't realize that like privately. Oh, we have arguments all the time. Really? That's yeah. hilarious. We don't, Yeah, we don't agree. We, there's a lot of stuff we don't agree on, Um, mostly tactically, but that's fine. You know, I mean, he hates the culture war stuff because the foreign policy stuff is so important. I mean, it really is important. And that's what he's dedicated his whole life to. So, you know, he really he's really focused on that. And um, so that's his main issue um, where my main issue is what's happening at home, what's happening locally, what's happening in your state and what's happening in the country. And that tends. I mean, it's all cultural. So you know, I try to stay as stay up on the culture wars as much as I can, and um, you know, attack the um, attack the left as often as I can. And
0: so, that's where it ends up. It'll be cool to see the interplay because, like, something that I, that I really like too is I've talked to both of you, um, like on the phone or or in person, and. You, the personality really does carry over in the podcast too, which which will be great, but it'll be cool because Scott Horton seems to kind of come more from a like, you know, we're, we're neither left or right. Um, and then he says attack the left from the left and attack the right from the right. And and that's kind of been my strategy, especially at a pretty leftist university. But the more I've listened to you, I'm like, man, you, I think you're right. <laughs> like- well, Well, also attacking the left from the
1: left. I, I mean, I can do that. And mm-hmm. I think that is something that needs to be done because it it really shames them. Um yeah. but like I went on Tim Pool knowing that I was gonna be on there with a right winger. So my whole goal was to go on there and be the best right winger on, on the show. And I think I did that. And then when it you know, I showed that I'm hardcore against against the left, um, um you know, think they're maniacs, I think we should have secession. And then in the end, well, I, I, I'm not I'm not a right winger who thinks that China is a big problem. So I think a lot of people, you know, if you if people see that you're, you know, you're on the right, which you know I'm culturally I'm on the right, um, and I think libertarianism is a right wing ideology, um, and I thought that was something that needed to be brought to that show. So when I start talking about China, I have a little more credibility in that I'm obviously not attacking it, attacking China as a left winger.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it really, I mean, I think it really worked in the live chat. But yeah, if there's anything else you want to say, man, if you want to pitch your podcast and your website and Substack, please
1: do. Free man beyond the wall podcast. Um, Substack is by any memes necessary. Piquinones.substack.com. Uh, what else? Libertarian Institute. It's Scott Horton started. Um, Sheldon Richmond's there. I'm there. Will Gregg was there. Rest in peace. God, he was the best writer ever on the police. Best writer ever on everything and the best podcaster ever on anything. And um, check out on, if you have Amazon Prime, which most people do. Um, it's a little documentary that me and some friends of mine made called The Monopoly on Violence, which was basically history of the state and um, a documentary about anarcho-capitalism that the Mises Institute was nice enough to let us shoot a lot of there. And yeah, I think that came out really good because not only did we talk about anarcho-capitalism, but we talked about the history of anarchism, even from the left. And a lot of the solutions that we presented were not, hey, the free market will take care of this. No, it was like, you know, voluntary societies and um, mutual aid societies, things like that. So um, I think that came out well and
0: I've heard left libertarians say that they loved it. So. Yeah. And and I watched it and it's really good. I, I brought all my friends over to watch it. So. Excellent. But yeah, if you want to also shout out your Twitter, if if you're not banned, (laughs) people can check you out over there.
1: No, I mean, it's, well, I don't know. It's been, well, we've been, talking for an hour and 10 minutes. I could be banned by now. Um, But yeah, it's just my name, Peter Arquinonez at Peter Arquinonez. And um, that's where, you know, what's funny though, is, I mean, you've met me and hung out with me in real life. I mean, in real life, I'm the same as I am on Twitter. That's what <laughs> people don't get. Yeah, <laughs> it is it's like, true. like oh, everybody's different. People say say shit that they wouldn't say in real life on Twitter. Oh, on no, Twitter, right. and they won't. I'm like oh yeah, no, no, no. That's no what you see on Twitter. That is me. And um, you yeah, know, so but um, yeah, Twitter is a sewer. It is. Yeah, it's probably really damaging for like normal human beings but um it's it's where i i got my start and it's where i um one of these days if i can get to the point where um the podcast grows and gets to the point where i don't feel like i have to it can it's taken on a life of its own i'll try to spend the hell of a lot less time on there
0: yeah like like a joe rogan he doesn't even look at anything Yeah. I, I, man, I'll get a bump and like my, my followers will jump and I get addicted for like two weeks. But now that I'm in school, I, I haven't been paying attention as much. Well, oh, You had that one tweet that got blown up because like every right winger on the planet was freaking <laughs> retweeting it. I had everyone using it. It was like Candace Owens, Keith Olbermann retweeted it like to bash Trumpers and yeah. But I mean, I, I went from like 700 followers to, three thousand nine hundred so i mean it helped me but it probably hurt my mental health (laughs) I oh i've been there believe me i am not on this account but my
1: on my original account one time i had a tweet that went insanely viral and um yeah i gained like
0: three four thousand followers just off of one tweet yeah it's crazy well hey man i appreciate you coming on it's it's always great to talk to you yeah yeah well uh, hopefully we'll see each other in the flesh sometime soon yeah i'm sure we will. Take care. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I just have a few things I want to say. I really found the conversation about Christianity and libertarianism and whether or not it's compatible really fascinating because as I was becoming a libertarian, I I was just wondering whether or not it really was compatible. And I eventually came to the conclusion that it was. um, And I came to a similar conclusion that Gerard Casey does in, in one of my previous interviews that I did with him, where he says that libertarianism is just an incomplete moral theory where as long as you start with the NAP you can fill in your cultural or religious beliefs from there and I, I think that's pretty spot on but I still sympathize with what Pete says that libertarianism has an atheist problem and I talked with him a little bit after and I don't think that I necessarily like the wording and I think I like something like this more the world has fallen and therefore so is libertarianism so are all of these human institutions so what would you expect it's like i'm fallen I'm, I'm a sinful being you're a sinful being and so are human institutions so it's more that libertarianism has a sin problem um, but the world does and there isn't any part of this world where sin doesn't exist. So I guess I would say that is how I think of this thing, and it's not necessarily that it has an atheist problem. It's just that there is a sin problem, and libertarianism is a tool, like any other tool, that can be used for good or for bad. Some people might advocate for a libertarian lifestyle because they want to lay around and do drugs all day. Some people might advocate for libertarianism because they just don't want babies to be killed in Yemen um so that's kind of where I'm at with this but I still find the whole conversation interesting and I hope you did remember to like this episode share it around if you you enjoyed it and subscribe to me on YouTube Apple Podcasts and Spotify and some um...